0: Since the botched execution of Clayton Lockett in Oklahoma earlier this year, there have been persistent ethical and legal questions about lethal injection. There have also been continuing questions about the involvement of physicians in lethal injection. I'm Stephen Morrissey, managing editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Nadia Sawicki, Associate Professor of Law at the Loyola University Chicago School of Law. Professor Sawicki has written a perspective article on the Constitutional implications of Clinicians' Involvement in Capital Punishment. Professor Sawicki, you begin with the 2008 Supreme Court case, Bayes v. Reese. Can you tell us a little about that case? What led to it and what was the court's decision?
1: Absolutely. The 2008 Supreme Court decision in Bayes v. Rees resulted from a challenge to the lethal injection protocol used in Kentucky. We've seen a number of these types of challenges where prisoners argue that the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment is violated by the use of a certain type of lethal injection procedure. In the case of Bayes versus Reese, the argument was that the three-drug protocol used by Kentucky was constitutionally problematic. In that case, the Supreme Court upheld Kentucky's lethal injection protocol, and it developed a standard for reviewing the constitutionality of execution procedures that I'd argue is somewhat troubling.
0: The standard three-drug protocol for lethal injection, the anesthetic sodium thiopentol, paralytic agent, pancuronium bromide, and potassium chloride, which induces cardiac arrest, has been around since the mid-1970s. What problems have arisen with it, and how have the courts addressed those problems?
1: Well, the original protocol that was developed in the mid-1970s in Oklahoma was developed by the Oklahoma State Medical Examiner, and he sought some assistance from the chair of the Oklahoma Medical School Anesthesiology Department in terms of developing this protocol. But there seems to be, and I believe they admit that there was no research or investigation or serious study to determine whether or not this three-drug protocol would be effective, would be humane, et cetera. So some of the problems with the three-drug protocol that we've seen have been the result of errors in administration. So the technicians who have been involved in actually administering the drugs have failed to do it properly. They've been unable to get access to a vein. There has been some issues in terms of the order of the drugs administration. So that's one end of the spectrum, errors in administration. But there are also concerns more generally about this protocol, specifically the fact that it includes the use of a paralytic. The concern there being that if the paralytic is used, it may serve to mask any kind of problems that are arising if some of the other drugs aren't kicking in. That is, if the prisoner is not properly anesthetized, the paralytic may make it impossible for the prisoner to express that and for viewers to understand what is happening.
0: You noted in your article that some states have modified their execution procedures moving from the three-drug protocol to two-drug or even single-drug protocols. What are the legal and ethical issues that arise with changes such as those?
1: In response to the problems that have arisen with the administration of the traditional lethal injection protocols, states have been making changes. And Deborah Denno of foreign University has conducted a study showing really the vast array of changes that have been adopted with respect to execution protocols. The problems arising from that are, I think, twofold. The primary problem with the changes that are being made is that they are being made without real research, testing, scientific basis, scientific or medical supervision. Prisoners have objected to existing legal injection protocols because of a concern that they will cause pain and that they will cause suffering. And I believe that state departments of corrections are taking positive steps in an effort to seek out protocols that are more effective and more humane. However, the fact that there seems to be little to no regulatory oversight of the process by which states are making these changes means that there's the potential for additional problems to arise.
0: So you mentioned medical supervision, and one solution that's been proposed is to require the presence of an anesthesiologist in the death chamber but physician groups have raised serious ethical objections to that. Do you see any possible compromise, given that a physician in such a situation could be seen as ensuring that the process does not amount to cruel and unusual punishment, but might be crossing an ethical line in the profession?
1: That, I would argue, is the most challenging issue associated with the lethal injection process. This process is quasi-clinical process that was developed without support from the medical or scientific communities. And now that process is in place. People in the medical and scientific communities are, for the most part, very reluctant to participate for very serious ethical reasons. And as a result of that, problems can arise. So the suggestion that physicians, anesthesiologists, or others be involved in the process to supervise and oversee and ensure that the process is going smoothly is one that has been raised by a number of commentators. It's been raised by prisoners bringing these Eighth Amendment challenges. It's a suggestion that was very recently made by the Death Penalty Committee of the Constitution Project, essentially arguing that if we want to make sure that this quasi-clinical process proceeds properly, we need some level of supervision. Obviously, the ethical prohibitions of the American Medical Association, the personal ethical convictions of many physicians, as well as the convictions of those who are simply opposed to the death penalty as a general matter, regardless of their professional affiliation, mean that it can be very difficult to find clinicians who are willing to participate. And there were a couple of cases in the past few years where states had challenges finding medical professionals to participate. There is no clear solution to this problem, as you can imagine. That said, I think it is important that there be continued discussion of this issue within The medical community and within the scientific communities. Because although the American Medical Association, although the vast majority of medical societies take a very public stance against medical involvement in capital punishment, there are individual physicians who have participated. There was a great article a few years back by Atul Gawande on this issue. And there are medical professionals who. Have actually made the argument that there may be an ethical obligation to provide assistance in this respect, treating the prisoner as a patient at the end of life who is going to die regardless of what happens and having a physician there to assist in the process. In cases where a physician has a long standing relationship with a prisoner, and the prisoner is legitimately concerned about the process of lethal injection and requests supervision and requests assistance, a stronger ethical case can be made for that physician's involvement. But for the most part, that is not the kind of involvement that we're seeing.
0: Another proposal you describe, and that may not involve the need for medical intervention, is the development of a lethal injection protocol that's simple to administer and less likely to cause pain. What then are the problems with that proposal?
1: Well, some people have proposed that additional research be done or that existing research be translated from other areas, for example, from veterinary practice or from the experience of states and countries with physician-assisted suicide to use similar types of protocols that seem to function better than the procedures used by many states in lethal injection. The problem with that is that despite the lack of formal, professional, ethical objection, as we see in the medical profession, the scientific communities, the research communities, have been very unwilling, for obvious reasons, to get involved in this process. We've seen pharmaceutical companies unwilling to provide their drugs for the purposes of lethal injection, we see a great reluctance on the part of the scientific community to be involved in any way. So there's that barrier of who is actually going to be providing this information. There are also concerns about the fact that the development of new lethal injection protocols might be considered research under either federal or state law. And there have been a number of recent papers looking into the possibility of whether state lethal injection reforms constitute research and constitute impermissible research that violates ethical and legal norms. Many states have regulations governing human subjects research that tracks the requirements of the federal common rule that's used for research conducted by or funded by the Department of Health and Human Services, and there's a risk that states trying to develop new protocols might run afoul of these problems. The reason I think all of this is particularly problematic goes back to the case that we started talking about earlier, Bayes versus Reese, the 2008 Supreme Court case. In that case, the court... Essentially, said, and this is my interpretation, and I'm sure others will dispute it, but subsequent courts, including the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, have interpreted it in the same way. The Supreme Court in Bayes v. Reese effectively said that the Eighth Amendment won't prohibit a lethal injection procedure unless it imposes a substantial risk of serious harm, and unless the Prisoner challenging that procedure can identify a feasible and readily implemented alternative that reduces that risk of harm. My concern is that it will be nearly impossible for any plaintiff bringing an Eighth Amendment case challenging a lethal injection protocol to identify a feasible and readily implemented alternative that reduces the risk of harm, because in its opinion, the Supreme Court. Focused quite a great deal on the existence of evidence or the existence of studies or the existence of prior experiences with new protocols to verify that they are, in fact, implementable and reduce the risk of harm. And the challenge that I see is that the ethical limitations on physicians, researchers, and scientists in being involved in this process mean that those prisoners who are challenging existing lethal injection protocols may not be able to identify a feasible alternative and therefore may not succeed in their Eighth Amendment challenges.
0: In that regard, are other methods of execution, such as electrocution, more acceptable from a bioethical standpoint?
1: I appreciate that you asked whether they're more acceptable from a bioethical perspective. When we're talking about the bioethical perspective with lethal injection, we're focusing really on the issue of involvement by physicians and other medical professionals. If a state moves away from lethal injection and towards a quote-unquote simpler method like electrocution, firing squad, hanging, those procedures don't require the involvement of medical professionals beyond certifying death. So from that respect, Those types of execution procedures are less problematic from a bioethical perspective, but they are problematic first from the perspective of anyone who opposes the practice of execution as a general matter, believes that it is inhumane and not something that a government should be doing. But a non bioethical challenge to these alternative procedures is the fact that they are very visible and very obvious. Electrocution, hanging, firing squad, one of the reasons why states moved away from these methods and towards the use of lethal injection is because lethal injection is, as I said, a quasi-clinical, somewhat sanitized procedure. The prisoner lies down on a gurney, there are white cloths, there are technicians present, they're injected in what seems like a medical procedure, and that for viewers, for the general public, for folks observing the process, whether directly or through media representations, that seems to be a more peaceful process in that it shields the actual death behind this screen of the anesthetic and the paralytic. If a state moves towards electrocution firing squad, etc. that death suddenly becomes more visible. And I believe that if states do choose to move in that direction, the increased visibility of the execution process may cause more people to question whether execution is really humane as a general matter.
0: To carry that a bit further, you describe a scenario in your article in which repeatedly botched lethal injection executions begin to raise public awareness to the point where U.S. voters demand an end to capital punishment, in a way similar to what you've just described as a possibility with other forms of execution. So is there a better way to get to that point where U.S. voters demand an end to capital punishment, or is it going to be through botched executions or more visible forms of capital punishment?
1: That's an excellent question. It, to me at least, seems deeply problematic that one of the most direct ways towards democratic abolishment of the death penalty is increased visibility of these problematic executions or increased visibility of executions that are, let's say, unpalatable to the viewing public. Honestly, I think that the more things go wrong and the more aware the public is of how problematic the execution process can be, the chances are greater that voters will democratically decide that capital punishment as a concept, regardless of the particular method, is problematic. Honestly, I don't know of any alternative way of reaching that result. I think that the one good side of the tragedies that we've seen with current executions is that it raises public awareness. In the medical community as well, the discussion of the ethical challenges of physicians being involved in executions has prompted, I think, many in the medical community to raise their voices from an advocacy perspective against capital punishment as a general matter, but I'm afraid that I don't see any way towards the point of abolishment of capital punishment that doesn't involve the types of problems that we've been seeing over the past couple of years. Perhaps that's a pessimistic perspective.
0: Thank you, Professor Sawicki.